If you have your Bibles, you can open them with me to 1 John chapter 4. As we talked about uh, in my prayer, I talked to God about in my prayer. We're going to talk about love today. Anybody pick that up as kind of a recurring theme in Scripture? God loves us. We're supposed to love him and love each other. Anybody kind of put their finger on that before as you read your Bible? Now we're on it again today. We're probably at one of the uh, um, more often read portions of the, the letter that John wrote here uh, in the first century to some churches that he had been a, a part of, probably planted, uh, most scholars believe. And now he's writing uh, in response to some of the things that have arisen in these little house churches in Asia Minor, probably near Ephesus. And he says these words to them in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. He says, Beloved, let us love one another. Everybody say that with me. Ready? Beloved, let us love one another. That's it. That's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about loving one another. But as we kind of go through these verses today, you're going to see uh, uh, John basically explain this in a way that we are easily understanding. He's, he's basically coming into this from from the direction that we come to most of our decisions in life. Here's what I was doing. I was sitting around yesterday. I was saying, how do we come about to the actions that we do? And, and here's what happens. We, we, we kind of sit there and we're just hanging out by ourselves and we think, you know what, I should do this, and then we go do it. Or someone comes to us and says, hey, you know what you should do? You should do this, and they ask us to do it. Or if they're in a position of power over us, they come to us and they say, you know what you're going to do? You're going to do this, and then we go do it. Has anybody noticed that? That's how things kind of get done. Either it wells up inside of us and we go, or someone asks us and we do, or someone tells us and we obey. Are you with me? I call that an instigation. It instigates action, whether it's internal or external. Uh, things get started when ideas come, when, when things are thrown out and, and we act upon them. I was just examples of this real quick. Friday, uh, my father-in-law has moved into our house with us, and so we were hanging out having lunch on Friday, and he was having a hard time with this one jar of uh, you know, jelly, and it's my job in the house to open all jars. It's my job. And so he brought me the jar, and he said, would you open this jar of jelly for me? I said, sure, Dad, and then you know, off we go. And that's an instance of being asked to do something. I walked out of that lunch, past the back window of my house, and I looked out of my backyard, and the grass was just about here. Has anybody got that lawn right now? Okay, just me. And then uh, I looked at my yard, and I said, you know what I should probably do is get the mower out and mow that grass. And I did. Is everybody picking up what I'm putting down? These are the how things uh, kind of get going. Um, here's, here's what I thought yesterday, though. Uh, for every instigation, there's a process of evaluation. Here's what I mean. Um, we get asked to do something. We feel compelled to do something. And in our minds, subconsciously, before we ever get to it, we ask some questions. Why should I do this is the first one. What's my motivation or what's my inspiration behind doing this? Why should I go and do whatever I'm going to do, whether it's been asked of me, commanded to me, or something I sense I should just do on my own? The second question that we ask is, what is it that I should do? What's my expectations in doing whatever it is that I'm doing? When it was the jar, it was to open the jar. That was pretty simple, right? When it's the lawn, it's to mow the lawn. But there's all kinds of ways I could cut the grass. I could get out my scissors and go one blade at a time. Who wants to do that when it's 4,000 degrees outside on a Florida Friday? Not me. I got out the zero turn more. Make quick work of that. Anyway, there's all kinds of ways that we could do stuff. But what's, what's the expectation in, in what we're doing? What, how should it be done? There's the why, there's the how, and then there's finally uh, the what for, the aspiration. What, what's the payoff? What do I hope to receive from whatever I'm doing, if I'm being asked or told or just doing it on my own? 
So uh, Saturday morning, I woke up, and just to see if this was you know, true, these ideas. I'm not a psych major. I just made this up on my own. How's it going? But I, I just, you know, thought through what I was going to do that morning. And Eleanor came to me and said, hey, would you like to take our couch? We have this big yellow couch that sat in our uh, living room for like the last six years. And we finally said, no more with the yellow couch. So we have a blue couch now. It's very nice. With the yellow couch, needed a new home. It sat in my garage for way too long. Has anybody got something sitting in their garage that's been there for way too long? I got it. So Eleanor looks at me and she says, you know what? Our daughter, uh, Kai, has asked for this couch. What do you say we take it over to her? this morning with the time that we have before we have to go to work. I was like, that sounds like a great idea. And so subconsciously what I went through uh, were the whys. Why should I do this? Because my daughter wants a couch and because I want it out of my garage. Check, check. You're with me? How am I going to do this? You would think this wouldn't be so hard for a guy with a pickup, uh, but I got this topper on my pickup that's a pain to take off and blah, 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 the DDD. But uh, after a while I played Tetris with this couch and I got it on the back of my truck and uh, I, I, I figured out a way to get it in there. So, so I had to go through some expectations of how. But then the payoff. What do I get if I take this couch? Again, a happy daughter and an empty garage. Are you with me? <laughs> so you're like, are we going to preach now? Yeah. And the, and the reason that I went all through that stuff is because that's how John explains uh, or, or uh, you know, affirms his command to these people that he's writing to in the first century. It's the way that God, through his spirit, is still affirming this command for us to love one another. He's going to give us the why, the inspiration. He's going to give us the how, the expectation. And he's going to give us the payoff, the aspiration that will come from our love. Starting in verse 7, we see one more time that the command is to love one another. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Command's clear. We're supposed to love each other. We're supposed to not just love each other in here, but we're supposed to love our others out there. If you're not familiar with Scripture, God basically includes everybody in our love. He says, you love your, your, your brother, you love your neighbor, and guess who else? You love your enemy. You love them all. Love is the command that God gives us in life with the people that he gives us to. So how should we, or why should we love is the first question. And that uh, is explained here in verse 7. Uh, we love because God loves us. Say that with me. Love because God loves us. He's our inspiration. Now, a little bit later, we'll get to this verse next week, but in verse 19 of this same chapter, John writes it this way. We love because he first loved us. That's where I got it. Does everybody pick up where I got it there? Yeah, we love because God loves, and because God loved, and God will continue to love us. He is our motivator. We, we sing about it. We, we sing about the, the love of God in a lot of our songs. If you notice that as a theme, right? Uh, we got, uh, uh, you know, love is a hurricane. I am a tree. Who, who knows that one? Anyone? How about this one? We'll sing it at the end of our service. Oh, the, oh, I'm going to sing it poor, poorly. Can I just quote it to you? Let me just rap. Can I just rap? Oh, the overwhelming, never ending. Reckless love of God. Some people got fussed out about reckless there. I don't think he's, you know, uh, the writer of that song is saying that God is reckless or not in control. I think that is implied in the nature of God. But I think his love compared to our love looks crazy. He's got a reckless love. Human love would not do what God loves does. God's love does. Is everybody with me? Overwhelming, never ending, reckless love of God. That song goes on, it says, it chases me down, it fights till I'm found, it leaves the 99. It's a reference to a 
parable Jesus tells in Luke 15 about 99 sheep being in the fold and one being lost, and the shepherd goes and finds them. That's the kind of love that God loves us with. I couldn't earn it. Testify, anybody? I don't deserve it. Who's with me? Okay, good. The rest of you should raise your hands, but totally, it's true, okay? And yet, you still, God still gives his love away. You give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, precious, reckless love of God. We sing those songs to celebrate, to marvel, to, to worship, and it's right that we do so. But don't miss out on the purpose of God's love. It's certainly to provide us his love, to, to, you know, to give us all that he's given us in Christ, to, to, you know, to, to take us where we were without him to where we could be with him. And, and his love is amazing for us, but it's not meant to terminate with us. It's not meant to just stay here for us to soak like sponges. It's meant to flow through us to a world. Because he loved us, we can love each other. He's our inspiration. A little bit earlier in this letter, we talked about it at the beginning of the year when we were walking through the first part of 1 John. John wrote this in chapter 3, verse 1. He says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God, exclamation point. He says, and that is what we are, exclamation point. You can almost see him pressing down harder on the big pen, right? It's like, this is crazy. Like, have you ever had something so great happen to you, you just kind of lose control of your bodily functions? You, you grab who's ever next to you and you just start rocking them like this? You ever done that? Uh, uh, this is so Anybody had that? Some of you are like, no, never, not, not once, Mark. Don't make me. I'm going to make you right now. Here we go. Because let me just tell you one more time. This is what John says about the love of God. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Turn to someone next to you, grab them by the shoulder, shake them like this and say, we are children of God. Go ahead and do it. Have fun. Jerry, you can shake harder than that. Come on. Some of you are like, I'm not coming back here. It's okay. We, we don't do that every week. I don't, know what gets, I don't know what gets you excited in life. I don't know what would cause you to react in such a way. But that's John's reaction to his understanding of the love of God. It's not just something he celebrates and marvels at. It's something that inspires him and causes him to teach his friends to love as God loves. God's our template for love. He's the target that we're shooting at. Having seen him love, we should seek to become him like he loves because he loves, we love. Anybody got a hero? Someone in life that maybe early on became kind of your template for how you wanted to turn out? If I could just become like them. Maybe it was a parent, uh, you know, another family member. Maybe it was a complete stranger. I remember uh, in the sports world, uh, I, I came online, you know, in sports around uh, the age of 10 or 11. I started understanding that they were there and they were fun. And right around that time, I heard of a guy named Larry Bird, Larry Legend. And I moved to Boston just as Bird was being drafted. And, uh, and, and I just, I, I wanted to become Larry Bird. I put his posters up. I learned to shoot like him. I tried to emulate him. I had the, I had the mullet like Bird had. Remember the, that was a power mullet. Anyway, uh, I just wanted to be Larry because in basketball, he was really good. And I wanted to be really good at basketball. Spiritually speaking, I, I found Jesus. Is everybody grateful for that? Yes. I found Jesus. I am too. I found Jesus. And, and, and through my years of growing in my faith, the last 30, 40 years of, of life, God has brought me some heroes, 
some people that I could look to and say, oh, that's what this is like. That's what following Jesus is supposed to be. And so my youth pastor was a guy named Jack Perrine. And he was one of the first guys outside of my family who just really poured into me spiritually. And I'll never forget him or his character and the things that he taught me. As a, as a paid Christian, a pastor, uh, I, I got a job in Dallas, you know, when I was 25 years old. And I was privileged to serve under a pastor named by, by the name of Pete Briscoe. And Pete loved me. He was crazy, stupid, fun, right? We laughed hard. But, but he taught me so many things about how to be this, do this, uh, lead a church. Um, that I'll just never be able to say thank you enough. I mean, he's, he's kind of my template for what I'm doing right now. Now, we have those people in our lives. But listen, when it comes to love, there's only one example, only one hero that we should aspire to become like. And that's God who has loved us because he loves us. We love. Now, some of you are sitting here and you're like, yeah, Mark, I've heard this before. In fact, I think you preached it the last time I heard it. And I know I'm supposed to love. And, and if, if you kind of look at my report card, in most relationships, you know, A minus, B plus, probably. I mean, I'm not perfect. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing okay. I'd love to talk to the people that you're referencing and see what they think. But as far as you're concerned, you feel pretty good. And that's great. Yeah, God. You know, let's continue to love and do well in those things. But here's, here's probably what some of you are thinking. But, yeah, there's this one person. Uh, Tom talked about him a few months ago. That guy. Anybody got a that guy in your life? I just don't know how to love that guy or that girl. They aren't very lovely. They certainly haven't been very loving to me. Uh, so I get it for the most part, but help me, Mark. What do I do with that guy or that girl? Well, you do with the hard to love what you're supposed to do with everyone that you love. You love them not by your strength and in your power, but you love them with the love that God gives you. Look what the second phrase in the first verse that we're covering this morning talks about. It says, beloved, let us love one another for love is from where? From God, not Amazon. You can't go order it. Some of you are like thinking I'll swipe and I'll get it right now. No, it's, Amazon doesn't sell it. Love comes from God. And so here's what that means. Any love, the, 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 the right kind of image of God love that every human being bears, like you're, you're going to say to me, Christians aren't the only ones that love. That's 100% true because God made everybody, the non-Christians and the Christians, in his image. And so love exists in the world uh, courtesy of the God who is love. It's from him. So if love happens, it's courtesy of the God who created it and who is it. But love in extreme cases, where love does not naturally occur, where it's not easy to love, that's a love that comes straight from the lap of God. It's a love that he sources us with so that we can give to someone else. I uh, grew up in a, a family that uh, had its roots in eastern Canada, a province called New Brunswick. Don't worry, Maine, it's right there. <laughs> I lived... Uh, uh, there in that province for about eight years of my life, and we would have family reunions at the homestead. My, uh, my grandfather lived on the property that was deeded to him by King George back before the Revolutionary War. And so he lived in this whooping old house. It was built in the 1850s, the first part of it. It had been added on to, but it had never been given plumbing uh, or lights. And so uh, I would go to my grandfather's house in the 70s, and we'd still you know, walk around with lanterns, kind of cool. Uh, he would cook with a wood stove. We would haul the water in from the well. They had rigged it so that the well actually came up inside of my grandfather's entryway of his house. 
So there was this like big basin of water that the well just fed, and it was some of the best water. You ever had like just straight out of the ground water? This was some good water. I just remember that. But we didn't use water just for drinking. We used water for the water fight. Every Sounders family reunion ended with a huge water fight. And so uh, it would just start happening. All the cousins would go to the kitchen and start grabbing my grandfather's pots and pans. Anything we could hold water in, and we'd start dipping it into that well that was in his breezeway and just hawking at each other. And of course, the ants would not join the cousins and the uncles in the water fight because they didn't want to mess up their big, you know, 70s hairdos <coughs> or get wet or whatever. And so I remember uh, people faking injuries. Uh, <laughs> Mom! So that, you know, the women would come outside, and then the uncles would shut the door. They would just lock all the women outside. And they'd just be pounding on the door, and the cousins would all just throw whatever they had in their pots at, right? But then we couldn't get inside to replenish these pots. The well was behind the door. So then we turned to the one designated cousin who had gone to Grampy's side house and had secured for us the hose. And he'd stand in position, and the rest of us would herd the aunts. And he'd just go all fireman on him. It's so great, right? This is the power in the, fire, in the water fight, right? If you've got the hose, you've got the power. I mean, you're just, and, it, and, and you have you know, the ability to do what the others can't. Made me think of the love of God. The love of God is this um, unquenchable, unending source. He gives it to us. It's from him. And when we allow his love to flow to us and through us to a world that desperately needs it, we got more than enough love. But if we just look to ourselves, we're kind of like these pots. We go and we fill up a little bit, have some love, but then it's gone and it's ineffective. What we need to do is to tie into the love that God gives us and to let it flow through us. Come on, who's ever been in a situation where you loved someone in ways that you know were not naturally yours to love them with. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Just me? Like you came out of a situation and what you really wanted to do with that person was punch them in the nose, right? Just clip them right in the throat, give them a good couple shots like that, right? But something came over you, I'll call it the spirit of God. And instead of giving anger and hatred and and, you know, uh, violence, you, you, you gave love instead. You kept your cool. And you walked away from that moment thinking, what was that? That was the hose replacing the pot and the love of God flowing through you to a world that desperately needs him. Be encouraged. God is this unending source of love. There's always leftovers. There's always more. You ever been to this like church party where everybody, you know, uh, came and hung out and there's all this food left over? If, you've, if you're the host of that party, you're just trying to shove things into people's hair. You should take this home. Why? Because it's just going to sit and rot in my fridge. You should eat it. Th that's the nature of God's love. There's always, it overflows. There's always more than enough to go around because God loves, because God gives us his love. He makes it possible for us to love others. We love because God loves. The second part of verse 7 uh, helps us understand something else that's important. Uh, we love because loving other people proves that we are doing life with and in God. 
Look what it says. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves shows, we could say there, that they've been born of God and that they know God. Love shows that we are of God's family and that we know him in life. Now, like I said, there's a general common grace love that all humans experience and can share, but there's this special kind of love that comes from a life surrendered to God through faith in Jesus that takes it up a notch. And when we show that kind of love in life, we're showing who we belong to, what family we're from, who it is that we know. Now, some of you might read this uh, verse um, you know, by itself and not read the rest of the Bible, and you could come away from this verse thinking, oh, I know how you become a Christian. You just love. That's what John said. Love is how you know you've been born of God and that you know him. If you read the rest of the Bible, salvation comes by faith in Jesus and what he's accomplished for us on the cross, his death, his resurrection. We put our faith in him and not in any of our works, including the work of loving well to, to make us right with God. That's our gospel. We start there. So what is John saying? Well, he's not saying that you're saved by love, but he's saying that if you've been saved by faith in Jesus Christ, one of the ways that we can discern that in you is that you love like God loves. Everyone who loves shows that they've been born of God and that they know God. Anyone, he says in the negative, anyone, verse 8, who does not love does not know God. Why? Because God is love. I'll get back to that. Anyone who does not love does not know God part in a second. But let's just park here for a second. God is love. You know what he just said? He didn't say God shows love, God is loving. He's not talking about traits or characteristics. He, talked, he talks here in terms of essence. The very essence of God is love. It's not a choice he makes. It's just who he is. And so, if you are with him and he is with you, if you abide in him and he abides in you, then love comes out because it's who God is in you as you seek to love those around you. He says, anyone who does not love does not know God. It's a good sign that maybe they haven't been saved by faith in Jesus Christ. If they have a habitual um, life marked by hatred and not love. Uh, for those of us who uh, have faith in Jesus Christ, in those moments where we don't love, we act as if God's a stranger to us. Never heard of him. Because we don't know him in those moments. We are unaware, <laughs> dead to him in our minds and in our hearts. I... Uh, I wonder if we understand uh, what hate really is. Maybe you've heard this in science class. There's, there's no such thing as cold. Have you ever heard that? Cold is just the absence of what? Heat, yeah. And there's no such thing as darkness. Darkness is the absence of what? Light, right? So following that logic, we could say that there's no such thing as hate because the default say, setting for for God and those that he's created is love. But when sin came into the world, guess what came with it? The ability not to love, which to varying degrees we would call 
hate. Hate is the absence of love. And so when you hate, when you react in hatred, God's a stranger to you in that moment. He's not there because the absence of love is the absence of God. Hmm. You know, my prayer for us as a church is that we get really good at love. In fact, we would get known for, for love here at Bay Love. In fact, I'd love for people to call us Bay Love Church. That would be fun, right? Let's just change our name. We're, we're however many years in. Bay Love Church. Not really. So don't aggregate that. Uh, we're not changing the name, but wouldn't that be great that that's what we got known for? All oh, the people at Bay Life, they just love so well that, in fact, when we didn't love, people would be like, I don't even know who you are anymore. Wouldn't it be so great to be known by your love so well that when you fail to do it, people are like, that's not you. Does anybody know someone who's really good at something? Like they just are, are just, you know, uncanny in their ability to do something. Uh, I have a friend I play golf with. His name's Don. He's really good at chipping the golf ball, which is a really hard thing. For me, maybe not for some of you, but for me, it's a really difficult thing. And so I get so frustrated when I watch this guy, at, you know, shot after shot, just, you know, bail himself out and, and, and be able to, you know, achieve a good score through his uh, chipping abilities. I get gleeful when he messes up. Is anybody else like that? I just love it. I'm like, finally, you're like the rest of us who don't know how to do this. And he'll mess up and I'll, he'll be like, oh, and I'll be like, oh. And I'll, I'll, I'll come to him and I'll say, oh, who are you? And what have you done with my friend Don? This isn't how he plays. Wouldn't it be great if people came up to us and on those off moments where we weren't as loving as they'd known us to be, they'd look at us and say, oh, where's my friend there? This isn't who you are. You are a, a vessel, a, a, a conduit, a hose for God's love. That's what John's hope for us is. That's the why. We love because God loves us. We love because when we do, God shows out in us. It shows that we know him and that we're in life with him. The next question we want to answer is how should we love? It's the, it's the expectations of love. John gives those for us in terms of what God hopes for uh, those who love in his name. That's the love the way he loves. Love the way God loves. Three things on the next couple verses pop out for me. The first one is this, is that when God loves, he loves without regard to himself. He loves selflessly. He's not in it for what he gets. He loves for the sake of those that he loves. Look, it says in verse 9, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us seen among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. If you're familiar with our story, um, uh, there was a problem, our sin. It was insurmountable uh, for us. And so God, in his love, it tells us in Paul's writings in Romans, demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ came and died for us. God, it tells us in, in John's gospel, uh, so loved the world that he gave his only son, Right? so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's our gospel. But it came as a result of God being love and because of his love, sending us his son whom he loved to die for us. It's hard to love this way. Can I get a testimony in the room? Does anybody have a hard time sometimes setting aside your own wants, your own needs, your own protections for the sake of loving someone selflessly? 
Um, sometimes we're blessed with just kind of regular days. You know what I'm talking about? Like you, you see someone after a week. I saw my buddy Matt who does slides for us, and I asked him this morning, so anything happened this week? And he just kind of looked at me. He was like, nope. I get that answer more from guys than I do from the ladies that I talk to in life. But, uh, you know, yeah, I just did them. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, today, Sunday, what's up? Nothing really happened. Isn't that great when those, some of you are like, no, I hate those weeks, they're boring. Sometimes the alternative is not so great. Things go crazy. Uh, this past week I got uh, served some papers in a car accident my daughter was in. Never had that one before. Uh, uh, I picked up my wife and my father-in-law at the airport at like 3 in the morning on, on Monday, and, and Dad came home with me, and he's, I love my father-in-law, he's come to visit us multiple times in the 18 years that I've lived here. He's not going home this time. He's sticking around and hanging out with us. Moved in, which is equal parts great, and I didn't know this, but equal parts jarring. Things are going to be different. I knew that, but I didn't know that. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And I'm starting to figure that out. And these are the situations, these little blips where stresses come in, life changes, and love gets more difficult. It's harder in these moments not to hug yourself more than you hug everybody else. My uh, bride, Eleanor, has been so patient. I'll, I'll be honest with you, I haven't been the most lovable guy in the last three or four days. I'm, I'm, I have a hard time sometimes adjusting to change, and I'm experiencing that in my life right now. But she's been so gracious to me, uh, going over the top and, and loving selflessly so that I can, you know, go through this as well as I can. We were, we were talking like lots of couples do as the night was ending last night, and uh, I don't even know how it came up, but she just kind of turned to me, and it wasn't a guilt trip. It wasn't anything like that. She just said, hey, Mark, would you like to know how I'm doing? All the guys in the room were like, oh, I've been there. Because <sighs> everybody in here, uh, every husband in here at least knows it's really easy for me to get all about me and to forget her and that she's going through this stuff too and that she's experiencing things. And, I, you know, you should take care of me and what I, I'm stressed. And, and I had forgotten entirely to ask my bride. Well, that's the kind of love that God calls us to. Love that doesn't seek self. Love that doesn't protect self. Love that doesn't value self over the love of someone else. How else should we love? Not just in sacrificing self, but we should love so as to give life to those that we're loving. Look what it says in verse 9. Uh, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world for this purpose, so that we who he loves, might live through him. The love of God was lavished on us for our sake so that we might have a better life, a chance at life. Now, I know there's probably someone in here who's done something like this, but I always marvel at the families who find out that one person is, is ill and, and is going to need to have the kind of surgery, like a renal failure. They're going to have to you know, get a new kidney if they're going to continue to survive. And, and the best place to get one of those is in the, the gene pool of the family. And so you start figuring out who can give a kidney. And then I remember I went to high, uh, college with a guy named Paul. And uh, Paul's older brother, like 15 years older, wife, kids, family, the whole thing, uh, found out that he wasn't going to live long if he didn't get a new kidney. And uh, Paul's dad came to this you know, college student and said, hey, would you mind giving up one of your kidneys for your brother? And my friend Paul said, no way. 
No, he didn't say that. He said, uh, he said, absolutely. If I can live with one, he can have the other. And I remember just, it was before Facebook and all that stuff. I remember just looking at the pictures because they came in like a pack. Remember that when they came in packs and you had to take them to the you know, Walmart to get them? Anyway, I remember looking at the pictures and just seeing the, the smiles on everybody's faces because they were experiencing the kind of love that most of us will never experience. My friend Paul gave of himself, literally, out of his guts for the sake of his brother's life. That's the kind of love that God loves us with. And it's the kind of love that we may not have to you know, go to that extent, but it's the kind of love that he wants us to love each other with. I love you not for what it brings me, but I love you, you for what life can be for you. I, I want you to have the very best, to have the benefits in life. And then we love without reciprocation, without the expectation of receiving love in return. Look what it says in verse 10. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the atonement, the, the, the price paid for our sins. This is love. Not that we have loved God, but that God loved us. Anybody in here grateful that God didn't wait for us to make the first move? He would have been waiting a long time. When we loved him not, he who is love loved us still and never took his foot off the gas. He loves us perfectly. No bad days. He just loves and loves and loves, even when we don't. You know, I sit down with folks and counsel with them. A lot of times they'll come in, they'll just tell me the horror stories of their lives. A spouse who's abandoned them and treated them so poorly. Uh, a parent or a, uh, an adult in their younger lives who was abusive to them. And we walk through the, the muck of uh, people's existence, we pastors sometimes. And, and in our counseling, uh, we, we talk to them about boundaries and what's healthy and how to you know, create protections and, and, and to make sure that you know, things are um, confronted and, and dealt with in healthy ways. But at the end of all that counseling, I always end up with something like this. I always look at these people and I say, just so we're clear, you still have to love this person. And a lot of times people have looked at me and said, have you been paying attention? This person is a monster. They've done everything that they could possibly think to do to hurt me. I expect that they will continue. And you want me to love them? And I always say something to this effect, it's not me. Don't shoot the messenger. God wants you to love them. He doesn't want you to be overcome with hatred. He wants you to experience that Love anyway kind of love. Is anybody here good at love anyway love? Love them anyway. That hurt. Love them anyway. That's not how I would have it. Love them anyway. That's the love that God loves us with. It's without condition. So we've talked about the why. What's our inspiration for love? Our love for others should be inspired by God's love for us. Full stop. How should we love? What's God's expectations for love? He expects us to love like he loves. And finally, what can we look forward to experience, uh, experiencing if we love one another? What are the aspirations of obeying this command to love? Well, 
This last verse, uh, verse 12, really kind of brings it home for us. If we love others, three things happen. We reveal God to a world that desperately needs to see him and can't. That's a payoff. When we love well, we abide with God in life. That's a payoff. And when we love as God loves, and because God has loved us, we'll be used of God in the lives of those around us to communicate his love in ways they'd otherwise not see it. I love to just put it this way as I'm talking to you. It's a win-win. Who likes a win-win? Anybody like a win-win? I mean, that's, that's why, you, uh, you know, when it comes to ordering the pizza, you get the people on this half of the pizza that like all the meat, which is right and is the way pizza should be eaten. And then you got all the weirdos on this side who want, you know, the fungus and the other things that you can put on pizza. And you guys can eat that side, and it's never going to touch my side because I'm eating correct pizza over here. But it's a win-win pizza, right? Some of you are like, ooh, pizza sounds good, babe. Yeah, I love win-win. And in in the case of God's love, it's win-win. We benefit because a life lived loving because God loves and as God loves is the best life you can ever have. But God is honored. He is blessed when we love in obedience to his command to love one another. It's a win-win. God wins, we win. Three things. When I love others well, uh, the world around me sees God in ways that it would never see him. Look at what it says in verse 12. No one has ever seen God. Some of you are like Bible scholars and you're thinking, wait a minute, what about Moses? In Exodus, he and God were hanging out. He came down, his face was shiny. He wanted to see God and God let him kind of look through the uh, pinhole camera, the crag of the rock. We saw the tail end of God, Exodus tells us. Moses saw God. No, Moses was protected from seeing the whole of God's holiness and, and um, his glory because there's no human being that could live in the presence of the one true holy God. Is everybody with me on this? So when John says no one's seeing God, he's not lying, he's not fibbing. But here's what God does, like he did with Moses. We get to see glimpses of him. We get to see his effects in the world around us. So John goes on, he says, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. He doesn't say it specifically, but he implies the love of God being shared amongst the one another's is something that shows the people who otherwise could not see the love of God what he looks like, who he is. I love the testimonies of uh, friends and fellow pastors that start with the love of God being exhibited to them to the point they could hear the message of God and respond to him. There's this one guy, uh, a pastor friend of mine, he came to know Christ in college. He was just living on, uh, uh, on this floor in his dorm with this Christian dude, and he was annoying. He would always come by and want to talk to him about Jesus. And he did everything he could to discourage this guy, made fun of him, you know, did uh, you know, practical jokes on him and his roommate, just did everything he could. And, and the more he did, the more determined this guy got to love this, you know, jerk that is now a pastor. And eventually, he's just like, I don't get you. I don't understand you at all. He's like, listen, I just, I'm so, I'm so in love with Jesus. I'm so amazed with what he's done for me in my life. I just, I love telling people about it. And I don't mean to be a pain, but I just want to tell you who he is. And so finally, this guy breaks down. 
And he sits in the cafeteria with this Christian that just annoyed the heck out of him the whole semester. And he heard the gospel for the first time. And he still was kind of like, I wasn't. But then the guy kept coming back. And he kept loving me. And through his love, my eyes slowly began to open to the truth that is now my life. And it all started because of the love of God. No one's seen God. But when his people love like he loves, they get a glimpse. And by his grace, he draws them to himself. When I love others well, God... God and I abide. That's what it says there in verse 12 when it says it. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us. It's this Greek word meno that John loves. He uses it way more than any other Bible writer, this word for abide. And it just means, you know, I'm contained in. I'm, 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 I'm you know, uh, side by side with. It's like me and God are like this. Everybody give me two fingers. Me and God are like this. Yeah, sometimes you and God are like this. Anybody had those days? Sometimes you're like this. And sometimes you're way over there in Sefner and God's way down there in Fishhawk. You know what I'm talking about? But when you love, listen to me, look at me, hear this. When you love and you love well as God loves, because God loves, guess what happens in your relationship with God? Whatever was separated is brought together. Because in those moments, moments you resemble the God who has changed your life and given you life. You are walking in obedience to God who gave you life and changed your life. You are abiding with him when you love like him. And just so you know, life abiding with him makes life serving him way easier. Here's what I mean. If you are constantly living out of love in relationship with someone in your house, at your work, at your school, uh, in your neighborhood, that creates separation between you and God. You are no longer abiding as well as you could be. He still loves you, you're still a follower of Jesus, you're always a Christian, right? But this abiding doesn't take place except that we choose to obey, to be as he is, and love allows us to do that. We get in the zone, anybody know what I'm talking about? Get in the zone, auto zone, no, the zone is like this, this sweet spot of life. Like when I prepare sermons for you, I try to do it at home. Not gonna happen. Way too many things at home that will distract me. There's too many conversations I can have with the people who are there, I love them. And, and so I just can't work, and so I come up here. If you're ever up here on a Saturday, you'll see my truck. I am hiding in my office when no one else is here. I got the lights a certain way. Anybody study best in, with your lights a certain way? It's, uh, I, I don't listen to music. I'm just focused. And if I ever get up here and say anything that's, you know, uh, understandable, <laughs> I trust that's the complete grace of God, but it comes as a result of me trying to find that zone, that space where God and I can commune and I can learn from him the things that I'm supposed to share with you, okay? And it's in those moments, that pocket of life, that zone that I commune with God, I abide with him. And when we love, we're like this. Last thing. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us. And it says here that his love is perfected in us. That word perfected is this Greek word teleos. It, it means perfect or complete or finished. 
And some people have taken this text to say, well, if we could just love like God loves, then, then we'll be done. We'll, we'll have this whole Christ life nailed uh, because we're loving like he is, and, and then off we go. And my experience has been that people just don't do that. We, we fail. Anybody ever failed to love? So I don't think that we're ever perfect in this life. That's just my theology. It's my uh, understanding of God's word and my experience with those who love him. We're just not going to be done ever, right? There are always going to be greater expressions of us looking like and being like the God who saved us. Are you with me? So what does he mean? Well, I read another guy, and he said this week, he's talking about how God chooses, doesn't have to do it this way, but he chooses to express his love to the world that he loves through the people that love him. Did you hear that? God chooses to express his love to the world that he loves through the people that love him. He does it in other ways, common grace. There's all kinds of ways that we could come at this. But, But he most often loves us through each other, through our willingness to be used, you know, to hold the hose, as it were, and let his love channel through us to a world that needs his love. If you've ever been in that situation where you're like, this wasn't on my schedule, this isn't what I would normally do, but God used me in this moment, in this situation, in these circumstances, to send his message of love to someone in ways that I don't even really understand. I was just kind of here, and God worked. That's what I think John means is that when he says that God's love is perfected or completed in us and through us. What a payoff. People who'd never see God see him. We who are desirous of, of of an intimacy, God, experience it when we love like he loves and because he loves. People around us receive from God his love when we open up ourselves being used of him. A couple questions, I'll let you go. Where's love completely missing in your life? Some of you are like, how dare you? Pastor Mark, where's love missing? I'm a good Christian. I love everyone, do you? I bet you if you let me hang out with you for a while, we'd find the spots. We just had a Super favorable. God, I believe, a directed decision made in our country. And I'm super excited about it as someone who on this side of that uh, conversation uh, sides with where our courts have landed. Uh, but I know there's a huge part. Okay, all right. Thank you. Now this part you're not going to like. Here we go. You ready? But there's a whole world of, of people out there who completely disagree with what's happened. And they are in the streets And they are online, and they are perhaps on your feeds saying what they think, and you have this opportunity to be the love of God to these people. And you're like, they're wrong. They don't believe like us. They don't think like us. God loves them. And if he loves them, so do we. So where is love completely missing in your life? Maybe it's there. Maybe it's with that guy or that girl. Where's it missing? Second question. Where's love needed more in your life? Are you like me? Stress comes. 
and you go inward, you get obsessed with who's in the mirror, you, and you just forget that everybody else around you is going through it too. You know, one of the great things that God gives us in stress and strife is the ability to take our worries off of ourselves and instead put our love on those who are going through it with us. Where's love needed more from you in life? And then finally, who this week needs to see God through you and your love for, uh, God through you and through your love for them? Who just, listen, I'm going to say a quick prayer. It's not the last prayer, but a quick prayer. Ready? Lord, show us who needs your love from us. Amen. If God brought a name of someone in your life, here's what I want you to do. I want you to show them love. I don't know why God would prompt you to love them in a special way this week, but if that's who God's putting on your heart, figure out who that is, figure out when you're going to love them and how you're going to love them, and then make an appointment and go do that. Because we make appointments for all kinds of stuff that doesn't matter, doesn't count. What if we made times, set times, for God's love to flow through us to someone else? What would change? Who needs your love? God's love through you this week. All right. Anybody overwhelmed by the love of God? Overwhelmed by the never-ending love that God has shown us? Here's my prayer, that we would be. That because God has loved us, we would love each other. That we'd love each other like God loves. And that we'd love each other because in loving each other, people see God who'd never see him. We get to do life with God in an intimacy that we're meant to have. And we get to love others with the love of God as he perfects and completes his love through us to them. Will you stand with me as we sing?